I want to invite you this morning to uh, consider our text on Mary and Martha. We're going to look at it from kind of three different perspectives. And I don't think one excludes the other. You can pick all three and you can learn from all three uh, uh, kind of ways of viewing the, this particular text this morning. The first, it, it's of course easy to compare the two women in our text, Mary and Martha. And this is probably the way that we more conventionally have looked at this text. And there's Martha. She's very preoccupied with the task in front of her. And she wants to get the house ready. And she wants to get the meal prepared. And she wants to make it happen to feed a crowd. And what if it wasn't just Jesus who was coming over, but it was all of the 72 Okay, this was in the same chapter. So it very well may have been a real big crowd that was coming to her house. And uh, I mean, who was going to do it? And many of us can remember maybe a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or maybe ourselves in, in these roles of prepping and scurrying and delegating and cooking with almost a buzzing frenzy. Maybe it was Thanksgiving as the turkey is ready to be carved and the Cowboys game is about to start, so we've got to eat quickly. And all the table has to get set. And then meanwhile, in this traditional reading, there's Mary, the spoiled little sister, that can't see past her own long hair and dark eyes, and seemingly oblivious to the fact that no one has sprinkled the French's crispy fried onions over the green bean casserole and the bread has yet to go into the oven and people are still arriving with no one to take their coat. And it's easy to be like Martha and be distracted and even resentful and feel fully justified in doing so. As justified as that lawyer last week in last week's episode where he tells, and so Jesus tells Martha, you are anxious and worried. He just points it out. And he says, uh, you're upset about many things. And I'm a little surprised that Martha doesn't smart back right at that moment and say, yeah, I am because if I'm not, who will be? And Martha justifies, in a sense, I have to feel this way because others can't seem to see it. I mean, something similar goes down at nearly every church potluck to this. Before lunch, some are prepping, sometimes a good part of the day on Saturday. Do you realize that, church? And on the day of the potluck, some are scurrying around to get things on and to make it right. And it's easy to think many of you people are just downright clueless about what this takes to pull this off. And then personally, I know how many times I have looked up after a church-wide lunch where the cleanup feels like Hurricane Katrina and there are only about three people there. And then I thank God that I only work on Sundays. <laughs> you see, precious few souls seem to have the capacity to take the wet wipes 
and clean up a table. And even fewer seem to see the need and personally own it to stack one. And often those who are putting away a table have to roll it around a couple of 200 pound blind men mesmerized by one another's musings. And it's at this moment, it feels completely justified that Martha speaks her mind and she says to Jesus about Mary, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And that's bold. That's bold to accuse Jesus of not caring. And then tells him to tell Mary to help her. Now, we know as the text goes on that it appears as though Jesus sides with Mary. And so we conclude somehow that Stephen Covey principle, don't let the urgent win over the important. And maybe we even tack on another response in our very dualistic, often superficial thinking that the spiritual is more important than the physical. And our conclusion is that studying the Bible and prayer is real food, but the physical side is nice but not essential, and yet we all know that's not true. Who wants, us, who wants to go how long without eating? or having someone care for the physical side of life. And so maybe we try to maneuver the text a little bit and say, okay, it's not spiritual against physical, but maybe it's relationship with Jesus takes precedence over task for Jesus would be a way of interpreting the text. And of course, there's truth to these conclusions. And I believe there's something to be said there, and some of us need to hear it this morning. Of course, Luke has lots of surprises. So if this is the obvious answer, I'm not sure this is what Luke is saying. At least I don't want to accept it at face value, because I keep learning and relearning. There's a different level and a different layer as I, as I look at the text and submit to the text itself. And so I, I, as I, as even though this idea of comparing Mary to Martha seems to be the main idea or the best path of interpretation, uh, what, what, seeing what Martha is doing, I want us to re remember in Luke, all over this gospel, it's about offering hospitality. You remember the texts that have come before in Luke 9 and 10 as we've been paying attention when Jesus says to all his disciples and you go into a place and they welcome you and they welcome you or they don't welcome you. So welcoming is so critical to how Jesus sees the kingdom of God and we've got a number of passages. In fact, entire books have been written on the gospel of Luke and the idea of hospitality. We have many passages on this that are coming up in the remainder of the gospel. And so if we think about it from that standpoint, Martha is offering hospitality and doing the very thing that Jesus has been requesting. She's practicing one of the great signs of the kingdom. So to call it inferior, just as Martha is trying to practice it, seems odd. And, but maybe both sisters are practicing 
Mary and Martha are practicing hospitality. And so we would say it this way. Is it possible that Mary, Martha, is doing all the work of hospitality without actually receiving Jesus, the one she's trying to host? And could it be that Mary is doing far less work but is attuned to the core of hospitality, which is attending to her guest. That was all lens one. Let me give you lens two. What if Jesus, like he is doing all over this gospel, is redrawing boundaries? It's constantly happening. And he's stretching our imagination and our understanding about people and how we think about others and the boxes and the categories we tend to put them in. What if this story is about gender roles? Or there's a cultural shift that's going on as it pertains to gender. In other words, the real issue is not the work in the kitchen. Martha's big beef is that Mary is acting like a man. In that culture, there were spaces for women. And there were spaces for men. And there were spaces in the bedroom for the man and the woman. And there were common spaces, particularly outside, for men and women and children. However, for a woman to settle into a space that was for men was outrageous. And this is precisely what Mary does. It's a scandal. Who does she think she is? Martha is thinking she's taking on the male role. The text says, and to this one, there was a sister being called Mary who was also listening to his word. And the the next slide, I believe it's on the slide, I want you to see this. Having sat near to the feet of the Lord. Martha was doing the expected traditional thing. Mary was not. And it's interesting of a careful, and this was a more literal reading of the text. It says, it says uh, who also was listening. Who, 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 who also was listening? Does that mean Martha was also listening along with Mary? Or does this mean the other disciples? Mary was listening along with the other disciples. It's an interesting word that's stuck in there. Had, had Martha been a part of this 72 entourage and then shifted gears back into a traditional role, but Mary had not? Or is the all, also not in addition to Mary, but the other men? I'm, I'm not really sure. But I want you to hear this. The same language used of Mary is used of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 22 in verse 3 where he says and he tells as he's telling his story, I am a Jew born at Tarsus in Cilicia but brought up in this city at the feet, same phrase, of Gamaliel. What is Paul saying when he says this? 
Mary's devotion at the feet of Jesus isn't to convey an adoring dog-like posture. That may be the way we've tended to look at that text. It's a figure of speech that just as Saul or Paul would sit at the feet of Gamaliel, to sit at the feet of a rabbi is to train to be a rabbi. Now that will stop and make you think. Is that what's going on here? It's unmistakable. Mary has taken the role of a teacher in the training, a teacher in training for the kingdom of God. This is more of a shift in roles than Martha can imagine. <clears throat> now, I don't mean to suggest that Jesus had women's rights in mind as we might talk about it today. A better way to say it is that the kingdom of God cannot be contained. It is boundary breaking. For the least and for the lost, for men and for women, and this is driven home by early in the book of Acts, a passage that was also written by our same writer, Luke. Remember what he says in Acts chapter 2 and verses 17 and 18 and that amazing passage where he says, in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What an amazing passage. that <laughs> just seems like over time we begin to see what it's been, what's been there all along. And I want to suggest that a very good, good interpretation of this text is this idea of Mary's role. Could it be that Martha is still in the mode of the 72 who when they returned to Jesus were, uh, were uh, focused on their own actions and uh, here what we have here is the spirit of God's kingdom it's overflowing into these cultural roles, roles. Let me say it this way as we get into the third choice and third lens. That uh, Jesus reminds the 72 when they came back. Remember what he said to them? This was the church in the park message. And now I'm interpreting this text a little bit more in terms of, in terms of, the gospel of Luke as a whole. He reminds then, he, he, he says, uh, lost my train of thought, sorry there. In terms of the 72, he reminds the 72, it wasn't now about their action, it was about God's actions. Celebrate what God is doing. When we got to the lawyer last week, and the story of the lawyer and the good Samaritan. The lawyer asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And only to realize that by the end of the story that he is, that the lawyer is massively incapable of doing what it takes to save himself. 
both to love God this way and to love his neighbor as Jesus is calling him to. His view of God is too small. His view of God is too narrow. So could it be that this is precisely the lesson, this is lens three, that Martha is trying to learn? Let's look at this way at verse 42 of our text again. Jesus says to her, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I don't know that I like that particular interpretation. I looked at it carefully in the Greek this, this week again, and not that I'm a Greek scholar or could do better than the, than the interpreters, but I, I want to suggest that maybe it's not so much Mary has chosen what is better, but Mary has chosen the good part. That's how the New American Standard says it. What is this one thing? What is this one thing? Have we answered it? Even this morning? They're both disciples of Jesus, and Mary having more quickly realized that, uh, this, but maybe Martha has yet to learn it, and it's deeper than busyness versus contemplation, or doing versus listening, or urgent versus important. All those are ways we've framed this text, and that's important. The way we've looked at it in terms of gender, that could be very significant. But Mary chose the good stuff. What is it? I believe it is a willingness to receive God's mercy. Again. This would fit the flow of Luke's gospel. Rejoicing again that you belong to God. It's the lesson we learned in Ivory Crockett Park. It's what the lawyer didn't understand. It's Luke chapter 10 and verse 20 from the message. Not what you do for God. This is the way Peterson does an amazing job of translating that verse. This is worth committing to memory and putting it on your heart and reading it again and again and reflecting on it. I think that Luke 10.20, as it's now being extended into this passage, gets at the core of what's, Martha's, what's going on with Martha. She thinks it's about her. But as Peterson translates Luke 10.20, he says it this way. Not what you do for God but what God does for you. That's the agenda for rejoicing. And so Jesus says, Martha, Martha. And I don't think he was scolding her. But he was lovingly concerned that she see the center reality from which all of life, including all service, flows. If you miss it, your joy will be stolen. 
if you miss this one thing, you'll find yourself resentful. If you miss this one truth, you're going to live in anxiety. You'll be worried and distracted most of the time. And even while you're busy doing a thousand things and look like a hero to many, you are stuck on yourself. Leads us to this framing. Will you continue in your old patterns or choose again the one thing and be reordered from the inside out by the unearnable mercy of Jesus. Now that's a complex sentence. If you want to get the notes on that one later, I'll help you with it. Three perspectives we've been talking about today. Number first one is this traditional way of viewing it. Determine your priorities. Don't let the urgent get in the way of the important. Second one is gender roles. The kingdom is not contained by cultural roles. The third, choose mercy as your main thing.